Poland, uh, things that come to mind, not a whole lot, no. Uh, Polish sausages? No, I don't know anything about that country. <laughs> Pierogies. Is that it? We hope it's not. That's what we're going to try to show you. Welcome to Polcast, Pole and all that jazz. Hello, I'm Małgorzata Bonikowska. And I'm Tomek Kniat. Welcome to the ninth episode of Polcast. In this episode, we will tell you... What jazz means to one of the greatest jazz musicians born in Poland, living in the US and Canada. How being a woman at the turn of the 19th and 20th centuries did not stop a Polish scientist from winning two Nobel Prizes. How can young people make a difference, according to a young Polish-Canadian living and working in Brussels. And why a Canadian without Polish roots plans to retire in Poland and is studying the Polish language. <laughs> In our last episode, we presented a school of the Polish language for adults, run by Ivona Malinowska in Burlington and Mississauga City's neighboring Toronto. I visited one of the classes and met Canadians learning Polish. Their stories were so interesting and presented such a variety of motivations that we decided to let you hear them all. Here is the first one. We will present one in each of the following episodes. My name is Nancy, and four summers ago, I met Yurik in Cuba. And, you know, when you're sitting around the pool deck, you know, saying, come to Canada, come to Poland, come to the Czech Republic, there's guys from there, too. Yeah, I don't really believe that. Uh, but then the next summer, my girlfriend invited me to visit her in Switzerland, and Yurik, um, we Facebooked, there's a bad storm going through, and I said, are you okay? He says, yeah. And when are you coming to Poland? So then I believed him. So I went and spent five weeks there. I just fell in love with Krakow. Gorgeous, beautiful. And I actually bought an apartment there last summer. And I retire in five years. So uh, through Europe, I've met uh, quite a large circle of friends. And it's just a, it's a beautiful country. And I'm learning Polish. I learned a few words just to be polite when I went. And Yurik is a principal and a Polish teacher. So I've got a great resource there. And uh, the first summer I spent, I was there for five weeks, a week in Switzerland, and then uh, three weeks in uh, mainly Krakow, and then a week in Bulgaria. And uh, so as a Canadian, I'd never been to Europe before. So in five weeks, I was in nine countries, two continents, completely overwhelmed by how small Europe is. And I just, I just fell in love. There's so many places I want to go see in, uh, in Poland. talked about Polish jazz and its great career in communist Poland despite the government's restrictions and disapproval. One of the greatest Polish jazz musicians, Adam Makowicz, had to fight for his artistic freedom to develop his passion for modern jazz 
by switching from the career of a classical to that of a touring jazz pianist. By the mid-1970s, Makovic established himself as one of the leading pianists in Europe. A virtuoso known and loved for his incredible improvisation skills, he plays jazz and classical piano pieces, as well as his own compositions. Besides playing solo, he has worked with the best musicians, all major world orchestras, performed at the top venues such as the Kennedy Center or the Carnegie Hall on all continents. He has recorded over 20 albums. His technical skills as a jazz pianist have been compared to those of Art Tatum, Oscar Peterson, and Errol Garner, among others. Since 1978, Adam Makovich has lived in New York, and now also part-time in Toronto. Do you think you can say that there is a Polish brand, Polish kind of jazz? Uh, yes and no. Uh, jazz is uh, an uh, Afro-American art form and has special uh, features like swing, which uh, doesn't exist in classical music. And talking about Polish music, we can only say that uh, Polish jazz musicians, when they improvise, they uh, implant or they integrate uh, some Polish music from folk, Polish folk music, or uh, from uh, classical, Polish classical music, uh, particularly from Chopin, which is the most popular composer, of course, in Poland, because it's Polish composer. Mm -hmm. uh, there the, are the different music you can hear, and the Scandinavian music, jazz musicians or Russian jazz musicians or uh, German. So every all musicians, it depends from what country they are, what background uh, they have. And it's, it, it, it is important for jazz. I remember when I started playing jazz, I just was looking at American musicians because uh, jazz was born in the United States. I usually follow my favorite uh, uh, pianists that I want to play a like, little bit like they play. But later, when I grow up with this music, I try to find my own language, my own sound. But without these uh, models, which I follow uh, from the beginning, uh, probably I wouldn't play jazz to today because it's not uh, European music. European right. music is classical music, not not jazz. So who are those models? Who are those My masters? My models were Artetum uh, and Errol Garner, both the top of my list. And uh, not only my list, the most pianists here in the United States, they also they have their, the same models. They say, they say the best pianist ever lived. Of course, there are many more. They created new sound like Thelonious Monk, uh, like uh, Bill Evans, for instance. Uh, Bill Evans was uh, the Debussy, Ravel. That was a little different. And a lot of musicians today follow Bill Evans' sound. Mm -hmm. Now, interestingly, you now live in the place where jazz was born, mm -hmm. which is the United States, and in New York in particular. What's so special about this place? New York? Oh, it vibrates day and night. <laughs> <laughs> the best jazz musicians live in New York. Uh, the best place to meet them, uh, if you are lucky to play with them, uh, at least to be close to them. 
And you still few places, nightclubs, uh, uh, you can go and listen live music. It's something else when you listen from recordings today, which is fine, beautiful, recorded, clean, everything, you know, polished. But when you go in the nightclubs where you listen live music, musicians are human beings, the same. And there's different feeling when even not so great, not so perfect, but it's something, as I said, with feeling. And it's always uh, 24 hours, a lot of uh, clubs open. Uh, as uh, New Yorkers are more open people than other cities that I visited mm -hmm. and were. Now, you're also an extremely accomplished classical pianist. Do you think this is a prerequisite for being well, a great jazz Thank man? you very much for oh, you're very such welcome. great opinion about <laughs> my well. classical career because <laughs> I never finished anything in my classical. I, I, I had a really good, uh, when I started to play when I was nine years old uh, in a small town called Rybnik, uh, a great uh, professor I was grateful, all my life grateful to him, that he gave me some suggestions how I should practice to be able to play what I want to play. And uh, I didn't need any other teacher, so I never finished any music school in Poland that time, because I didn't need anyone. That was time, a uh, different time when uh, jazz was unwelcome uh, music, right. and in particular in music schools, they thought that this is uh, bad music, that uh, at the current uh, uh, propaganda was very negative. My parents also believed them. So I said, okay, I will be uh, trying by myself and uh, trying to survive. That was a difficult time, and I knew it. I knew that I had to pay for it, but I was happy that I was free because jazz brought me this feeling... Uh, you can uh, play what is on your mind. And playing is like speaking, like telling stories. But later on, I learned it, uh, these like, stories. First was, you know, very fast playing. I want to be really best pianist. That when I came to United States, they called me that I am the fastest pianist in the world <laughs> because wow. I was too fast. Wow. That was my strong point in music. <laughs> But then uh, it took me many years to understand really better music. <laughs> That's not about speed. jazz music. It's I'm talking about, about jazz music. Yeah. Okay, but 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 is it true to say that people need to be accomplished or need to be good classical pianists in order yes. to be good jazz yes. musicians? Yes. Well, uh, uh, the same tools we used uh, cl from classical, it, it helps definitely, of course. Now, what is what is Makovic style? I don't know what is that because style. Because before, the... before you said it was speed. Now it's not speed. What's it? In, yeah. What is it now? Because if people say you're one of the greatest in the world, in what? In okay. melody. <laughs> melody and the rhythm. Two elements are the most important in my music. Rhythm. Everybody can understand. First rhythm, and then comes I with a very close melody line. Yes, because mm -hmm. melody gives. Uh, uh, I send my feelings through melodies. Rhythm is rhythm. It's a swing. What is swing? It's something that moves your body. And I have to play the way that people would move their body when I play. 
but then melody makes a whole a whole thing together must fits together mm-hmm. rhythm uh, tempo what they play and melody and then my improvisation and sending my uh, ideas how i can play a little different the same melody that's what is improvisation to me you know so but about style when you ask me i don't it's not important to me what style i will be playing important is like if i can make uh, some uh, tension in the music using all my tools what i learned through all these years how many years 60 years what what is jazz for you what is jazz, what does it mean jazz to you means uh, yeah freedom and no restrictions uh i can tell my own stories through music of course and uh swing swing with is the most important elements in in uh, jazz music and create special kind of feelings that i feel i want to send uh, i want to communicate with the audience with my feelings and uh, and uh, people are very important to me and this feeling mutual feelings is fantastic and don't change anything in my <laughs> career I just go further i like uh, play uh, more beautifully so that's my goal you will hear more about adam makovic in our next episode when we talk to him about the art of improvisation and his unique recording project which resulted in a very interesting album and whose story is tied to an important book element with symbol PO and atomic number 84, discovered in 1898 by Marie and Pierre Curie, and named after Poland. Why? Because Maria Skłodowska-Curie was Polish. Perhaps the most famous of all women scientists, Maria Skłodowska-Curie is notable for her many firsts. She was the first to use the term radioactivity. She was the first woman in Europe to receive her doctorate in science. In 1903, she became the first woman to win a Nobel Prize in physics. The prize, jointly awarded to Curie, her husband Pierre and Henri Becquerel, was for the discovery of radioactivity. And in 1911, she won an unprecedented second Nobel Prize this time in chemistry for her discovery and isolation of pure radium components she was the first person and the only woman ever to receive two nobel prizes in two different fields she was also the first female lecturer professor and head of laboratory at the sorbonne university in paris in 1995 marie curie's ashes were enshrined in the pantheon in paris 
She was the first woman to receive this honor for her own achievements. Altogether, she received 18 gold medals, 19 degrees, and numerous other honors. Maria Skłodowska-Curie was born in Warsaw on November 7, 1867. Being a politically involved student, she left Warsaw, then under the rule of Russia, for Krakow, which at the time was under Austrian rule. In 1891, she went to Paris to continue her studies in physics at the Sorbonne. She succeeded her husband as head of the physics laboratory at the Sorbonne, gained her Doctor of Science degree in 1903, and following the tragic death of her husband Pierre Curie in 1906, she took his place as professor of general physics and was the first woman in this position. And here is a very special special about Maria Skłodowska-Curie. She was the first and only mother Nobel Prize laureate of a daughter Nobel Prize laureate. Her oldest daughter, Irene Joliot-Curie, also won a Nobel Prize for chemistry in 1935. Camille Merus is one of those dynamic young people for whom borders are of no importance. He speaks five languages, has lived in Canada, Poland, and now in Brussels. Coming from a Polish-Canadian family, he graduated in biochemistry and chemical engineering from the University of Ottawa in Canada. In 2011, he completed an MA in international relations from the University of Kent in Brussels. Now established there, he's on a mission to help young people build their careers through a unique program in which he draws on his passion for and experience in volunteering. Why did you decide to leave Canada and move to Europe? I think it has a lot to do with uh, me growing up in Canada as a, as a Polish-Canadian. I was really involved in Polonia at the time when I was a teen and also a student in university. Eventually even served on the Polish-Canadian Congress. Uh, I, I always had a sense of longing for home, and home for me was between both Canada and Poland, because being a Polish-Canadian, growing up in Canada, you know, growing up in a, in a family that preserved and maintained their, their Polish heritage, uh, sort of gave me a mixed identity. When I graduated university in 2010, um, I decided to go to Poland to live there for a few months. I did an internship there uh, at the Senate of Poland. I worked for uh, a non-for-profit association called Szkoła Derów, and eventually found my way to Brussels because I wanted to do a master's in international relations. I chose Brussels because, as you rightly mentioned, it is indeed the, the heart of Europe. And I think Brussels is a great place where you can really gain some experience but be exposed to opportunities of an international city, a, a real European city that you may not get anywhere else. And I think uh, this was why I decided to come and do my studies in Brussels. What, what actually got me to stick around in Brussels, and, and that's the second part of uh, my adventure here in Belgium, is meeting my wife, well, then girlfriend and now wife, while I was studying. And we ended up settling here in Brussels. Now, by virtue of your experience, you, you've had um, an opportunity to observe and also experience firsthand um, young people on both sides of the Atlantic. Do you think they differ? I definitely think so. Uh, and the way I see it is, you know, living here in Brussels or anywhere else in Europe, you have a lot of these cheap airlines like Wizz Air or Ryanair uh, that allow you to get from Brussels or any other city in Europe 
to any part of Poland in, in more or less two hours. And so uh, when you have that nostalgia for Poland or for home, that nostalgia is very easily satisfied by just jumping on one of these planes and, and going home. Whereas when you're in Canada or you're in the US or Argentina or Brazil, any of these countries that have large Polish uh, diasporas, but are, are geographically isolated from Poland, I find that those countries, usually what they do is they you know recreate a sense of home away from home through all of the Polonia organizations that have been put together and that exist. Uh, I think uh, the impact of that is that those organizations, they, they're sometimes a bit frozen in time. <laughs> they, they hold on to a lot of traits and a lot of elements that uh, may not be present in, let's say, uh, Poland or, or progresses and, and, and is more progressive, those Polonia organizations can seem to be a bit more conservative. And in the countries far away from Poland, you seem to recreate a sense of home away from home, whereas in Europe, the Polonia organizations aren't so strong. You know, there's not many. If you want to eat pierogies, if you want to learn about Poland, you want to satisfy that craving for Polish uh, identity and nostalgia, you just jump on a plane and, and head back home. When you watch Poland in Europe, you see how fast it's gotten into the European Union, how many projects it's been able to implement. Every time I go back, you know, how thriving the economy is and, you know, even the political situation, how things, how quickly things change. And, you, you, you know, the fact that the Polonia organizations, like I said, were a bit, are, are a bit more frozen in time, they, they don't keep up with those, those changes, but rather they root themselves in, I think, the more timeless uh, types of activities. You're involved in an organization which aims, and I quote, to provide development opportunities that empower young people to create positive change. So what does this mean? Can you explain to us how can young people be empowered to create positive change and what kind of positive change you have in mind? Coming from a breadth of volunteer experiences in Canada, uh, like all of the activities that I was doing, you know, I, I've always found great satisfaction in being part of volunteer uh, organizations. I find that, I think, I, I strongly believe actually that as human beings, we have a sense of responsibility to the communities around them, our, ourselves. When I came to Brussels, uh, I, I had a, a longing for being part of another type of volunteer organization because there was not so many Polonia organizations and I really wanted to to give back. And so I decided to join JCI, a non-for-profit membership-based organization. And, you know, enables that young person to have a platform, uh, a sort of backing of an organization that with resources and a membership base and a network, an international network to create projects, personal development initiative, entrepreneurial stuff. Uh, in Brussels or in Belgium that helped to create positive change. And so in 2000, about 2010, Europe was plagued with the youth unemployment crisis. And having uh, lived through that, uh, I decided to, together with this organization, to actually do a project uh, in the spirit of this mission statement, which was to help tackle the youth unemployment in, in Brussels and eventually uh, in Europe help those young people in those very difficult times. But it was it was a really interesting project because it was purely grassroots. It was entirely driven by volunteers. And the objectives were really to, to help young people to get back on their feet through mentorship, practical advice. Uh, the, the interesting thing about this project is it, it ended up becoming rolled out across Europe. And so now it's taking place in like in Poland, in the UK, in, in Latvia, 
in Georgia and tons of other places. I take a lot of pride in that because I have sort of brought it to life. What are the main challenges and problems that young people nowadays face? You know, the world is rapidly changing. I think it's changing faster than we could have ever expected. And young people need to be proactive in, in really creating and, and shaping their futures. Um, something that I can really uh, say as, as my recommendations for young people, you know, trying to break into their first professional experience, I would say is get involved in volunteer work. Like, and I say that not, it's a bit biased because I'm somebody who deeply believes that volunteering helps, uh, you know, the community around you, but it, it also helps the individual. You know, a lot of sort of indirect impacts of volunteering is that it helps to prepare you for your first professional job. When you lead project teams, when you organize meetings, where when you have to actually manage a budget or in, in the volunteer realm, it, 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 it's more or less the same stuff that you'll be doing when, when you have a job. Yeah, another tip is uh, maybe find yourself a mentor. You know, mentorship is, is key. And I think you, you, you somewhat do this through your, your podcast, Gosha, is that you are trying to uh, be a mentor to many people and, and trying to share and give back relevant information that can help them gather interesting insights from across the world or gain something that they have not uh, figured out by themselves to share some of those experiences. I think, I think that's been a key for me is having the right people at the right point in my life who've given me the necessary input to make critical decisions. And it helps you to, it helped me to plan my, my educational path, but also more recently my early career success. In the last episode, we played this sound, wondering if you can guess what it is and where in Poland you can hear it. Anyone who studied at a university in Poland remembers the solemn moment, singing a medieval student song in Latin. Each fall at the ceremony inaugurating a new academic year. And of course, it also happened at the oldest university in Poland, where this and many other traditions have been kept alive for over 650 years. And that is the Jagiellonian University, founded in 1364. It is actually the second oldest university in Central Europe after Prague and one of the oldest in the entire world. As early as the mid-14th century, King Casimir III, great, realized that the nation needs a class of educated people, especially lawyers, who could codify the country's laws and administer the courts and offices. And this is the list of notable alumni. Nicholas Copernicus, the 16th century astronomer who formulated a model of the universe which placed the sun rather than the earth at the center of the universe. John III Sobieski, 17th century military leader, monarch of Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, victor of the Battle of Vienna, and we already talked about him. 
We also talked about Ignacy Lukashevich, who was a 19th century pharmacist who devised the first method of distilling kerosene from seep oil. But we didn't talk yet about Karol Wojtyła, later known as John Paul II, Pope of the Catholic Church and a saint. And Wisława Szymborska, a very famous Polish poet. In 1996, she won the Nobel Prize in Literature. It's time for our next sound from Poland. Here it is. Listen, think, guess. Where do you need to be in Poland in order to hear this sound? And what is it? You've been listening to the ninth episode of Polcast. Polcast is created, recorded and produced in Toronto by Małgorzata Bonikowska and Tomek Kniat. For full-length interviews, visuals and a lot of additional information, please visit our website at mypolcast.com. In our next episode, we will tell you about a very special connection between a book and a unique album by a world-class Polish jazz pianist. How a Paul played a huge role on the road to the smartwatches of today. And how a family of circus artists brought up an actor who has acted in five languages and theatres in many countries, including the Royal Shakespeare Company. And we'll leave you with our today's guest, Adam Makowicz, playing Dvorak. Mm-hmm.